continue on it. We continue drawing near. He says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now this word hold fast, it comes from the Greek word kateko. It comes from the Greek word kata and from the Greek word echo. It means to, or it's translated as hold back, hinder, seize, prevent, restrain, hold fast, possess, and occupy. These are some of the ways that this is translated. The first part, the kata, means primarily down or against. Translation of that is a prefix that comes on. And it means down or against, primarily. There's a lot of different meanings that can come from that. But that is primarily what we see it have. Echo means I have. So when it's talking about these two words together, it is talking about seizing hold of something and bringing it into your possession. It, it's talking about, it actually is used in this, in one context, we'll look at one of them, to hinder, to hold something back. Not just hold something to, but can also be used to hold something back. That's where we see that hold back or, or restrain in the translations. Here's some uses of it in Scripture. In Luke 4 and verse 42, Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried, here's the word, and tried to keep him from leaving them. So they were trying to prevent him from leaving that's that same word there. In uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 15, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. That word keep it is our same word. To seize it, to take hold, and to hold fast and not let it go. It uses that same word here in the parable of the seeds. John chapter 5, verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. In this case, it flips it over. The disease had seized them and had taken hold of them and they would become free of, of this thing. So it's using it from, the, from the, the other side. Acts 27, verse 40, And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile losing the rudder, Ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for sure. One person, uh, well, it's uh, used here talking about the boat finding a place to, to get to. And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for sure. In other words, they saw a spot on the shore and they aimed for it. They were, <clears throat> they were trying to, to seize it, to, to come into it, to take possession of that area of shore. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The word there for suppress is our same word. They are trying to take the truth and to hold it back, to, to not let it out. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21, Test all things, hold fast what is good. Test all things, hold fast what is good. So, as things come upon you, you look at them. You run the test on through. You determine, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? If it's a bad thing, we push it away. If it's a good thing, we grab hold, we seize that thing, thing and we hold on to it because it's, it's good. Second Thessalonians 2.6 And now you know that what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. 
Continues on in verse 7. The restraining there is our word. Verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the restraining there that is done, and as you, I've taught on this part before, my, my thought on this is the restraining is not the he, Holy Spirit, but the he, the church. And the reason that the church is referred to here as a he is because whenever the church is referred to as a bride of Christ, it is a she. Whenever it's referred to as the body of Christ, it is a he. And in this particular aspect, in holding back the Antichrist, and holding back the, the evil forces that are there, we would be operating as the, as the body of Christ. Hebrews 3 and verse 6, But Christ is the Son over His own house, whose house we are if we hold fast, and there's that word just translated straight up there, hold fast, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Chapter 14 and verse 3, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So I just want to throw in those extra ones from from Hebrews. I don't think I had them on your outline. I ran out of lines. So I was just pulling stuff out. So you're going to find some things that are just not in there. I, I just ran out of lines. I, I cut every one that we could, condensed and all sorts of stuff. But but anyway, if you want to put them in, Hebrews 3, 6 and 3, 14 are the ones that are not in your list. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So these are some places where this particular word is used to hold fast. I pulled out um, uh, Rick Renner. He actually translated this section of the verse for us. He puts it this way. And let us hold fast to our confession, tightly wrapping our arms around it and embracing it with all of our might, rejecting all attempts of anyone who tries to steal it from us. Rick is very picturesque in in his words. Let me read it for you again. And let us hold fast to our confession, tightly wrapping our arms around it and embracing it with all our might, rejecting all attempts of anyone who tries to steal it from us. For, for me, you know, being the sports guy, I, what I think of in this is a football player with a, like a running back running through with the football and people trying to strip the ball from him. And what do they do when they, they go on through? They, hold, they sometimes put two arms around it. But you look at the arms of these running backs. Every time they run on back there, I'm, I'm looking at those, those arms are huge. Those arms are muscular. Those arms are made to take that ball, wrap it up around there, and not let that thing go. Because if you get a reputation as a running back of fumbling the ball, guess what happens? You're not going to be on the team very long. <laughs> that's not going to be. That's not going to be so good. One of the uh, uh, running backs the Eagles signed in the offseason this year has a reputation of being a fumbler, a lot of talent, but apparently has a reputation of fumbling the ball. So we'll see how well that goes. He's obviously got another chance. If he fumbles the ball, guess where he's going? <laughs> Can be shown the door. You got to hang on to that football. Those guys, when they come on through, they get the arms, they getting in traffic, get both arms around that ball because they don't want anybody taking that ball out of their hands. And that's what you got to be be thinking about. So you watch football whenever it comes back on. You just think about those running backs. They are holding fast that football, and the same thing. We are to hold fast our confession. Let's pull that verse back up there, verse twenty-three again for us, and read it again. Hebrews. Chapter 10 and 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So we got a good picture of what we're talking about here. Hold fast the confession. Hold fast the confession. Don't let it go. And you wonder, of all the things he says to hold fast, why the confession? 
Why not the belief? Why not hold fast the, uh, the doctrine? Or uh, Why is it that he say hold fast the confession? Well, he's saying hold fast the confession of our hope. And our hope, is, uh, hope and faith are tied together because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So we have to have things that we hope for, things that we are looking for that are coming. We're hoping for this to come. And so out of our mouth will come, I know I'm going to heaven. I know Jesus Christ is coming for me. Because as long as we have that hope and we say with our mouth these particular things, it, it changes us on the inside. And as soon as we change our confession, it is because our hope had changed. If we start saying things like, I don't think God's ever going to come. See, our hope had changed. Hold fast the confession, confession of our hope. And it doesn't even isolate what kind of hope it is. Whatever the Word of God has built us up to have hope for, we should be confessing out of our mouth. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the confession. What's the enemy want you to think? You are a sinner. You are no good. You have no benefit in the body of Christ. God has a plan for me. What's the enemy want you to think? God's not even mindful of you. God thinks you are a nobody. You've made too many mistakes. You're no good. You're washed up. So the enemy is always trying to come in with something different from what the Word of God tells us we should hope for. And when he does, our confession begins to change. Because the enemy is coming in and he is trying to attack that confession. There are some confessions we just don't let go of. And he doesn't attack anymore. When was the last time you had an attack that heaven is real? Does the enemy come by, knock on your door and say, heaven's not real? No. Because you know it's useless. <laughs> you are too convinced that heaven is real. We can't mess with that one. For, for most of us, we're too convinced that Jesus Christ is coming again. Too convinced of that. He can't come in and say, he's not coming. Oh yeah, he's coming. We, we don't change our confession on that at all. But if he can come in he can, and if he can change something else that you're hoping for, you're washed up. You're no good. God's done with you. You've made too many mistakes. You're a sinner. If he can come in with some of these others and he can get us to change our confession. But the writer here says, don't change it. Now his whole context for this is, get into the Holy of Holies. Draw near to God. Get yourself in that place with God. Be continually drawing near. Be continually moving yourself in this direction. Stay that, stay that way. Now, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast our confession or the confession of our hope. And then he says, without wavering. Without wavering. What's it sound like when a person wavers? Well, I don't have it yet. And the best place to go is the Word of God for this because one of the best waverers we had in the Word of God was one of the best pillars we have of faith. Abraham, God promised him what? I'm going to take you to a land. A land that flows with milk and honey. And he gets there and what's the, what's the land doing? It's in famine. <laughs> the land's in famine. So he's got to go down to Egypt. And that doesn't go so well for him. And he's, um, God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants like the sand of the, of the shore. I'm going to make you like the stars of the sky. And he still has 
No kids. And so God comes to him. How you doing, Abraham? You blessed man. And he says, how blessed am I if I don't have any kids? <laughs> so He's all upset about this. See, his confession changed. His confession is not on the hope. His confession has changed. And so God said, we know what, we're going to change this. You're no longer going to be Abram. You're going to be Abraham. I'm going to get you going around confessing the hope that I put on the inside of you. That you are going to be the father of many. Not the father of one, not the father of a little. I'm going to have you be the father of many. And so he changed his name. See, it's the confession. The writer here says, hold fast the confession of our faith. Because there is stuff that is continually coming around us to get us to change our confession. To get us to change. Well, I mean, back in the garden. Has God really said? See, she had her as her confession... We, already, we can eat from any tree we want in the garden. But this one, the one in the middle, we're not supposed to eat it or touch it. That was her confession. A little bit different from what God said. But still, she would have been okay if she would have gone along with that. But she changed it a little bit. And the devil had that inroad. And he says, no, no, no. You're gonna, it's not going to be what it is. You're going to be like God. Seeing both good and evil. God heard to change the confession of her hope. And got us all in big trouble. You can even take this back over to Saul. When Samuel said to him, I will be here before, before seven days and we'll do the sacrifice. And he saw all the people leaving and he saw the Philistines gathering. And so he went and he made the sacrifice himself. And as soon as he got done, here comes the prophet. And what did he say? Well, when I saw the Philistines gathering and I saw the people departing and you delayed I determined that I better do this. See, his confession had gotten. His confession could have just been Samuel said he would be here by the seventh day. He said he would be here to make the sacrifice. I will wait for Samuel. And he could have just confessed that. But he said the enemy got in there and changed the confession. Is Samuel really coming? Look at what's going on here with the people. You see, the pressure comes in to get you to change, to get you to do something else. Satan came in with Jesus. Came here to get the authority. Tell you what, I'm going to give it all to you. I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. That's it. Yeah, well, I get what I came here for, and I don't have to go through the cross, and I don't have to go through the. Nope. Let us hold fast to our confession, tightly wrapping our arms around it and embracing it with all our might, rejecting all attempts of anyone who tries to steal it from us. Understand, attempts will be made to steal whatever it is that you are confessing. Now, some things you have been confessing, you have been believing for a long time. Heaven, Jesus Christ's return, salvation, the forgiveness of God, all these things we've been confessing and believing for a long time. It's not so hard for us to hang on to those. But there's some other things that you first learn. Oh, I'm supposed to do this. Oh, this is what the Word of God says here. Oh, this is what the Word of God says here. And we begin to get excited about it. We begin to confess it. We begin to do as the parable of the sower. We receive that word with gladness. But then the thorns and the thistles and the things come up and they begin to choke the word. The cares of this world. It's talking about strictly adhering to and continuing the confession of our hope. Without wavering. Now I put this in your outline. I believe it's still in there. Uh, stuff usually people. 
will come against you to get you to relax and eventually let go altogether. It's usually people. It's not just arbitrary things. It's usually people. People come and they say things to you. Are you believing God for that? Really? God doesn't do those kind of things anymore. Why are you believing God for that? Has it worked for you? Well, see. It's, it's usually through people. People come and they begin to discourage you. People come and they try and suppress the word in you. People come and they try and get you aggravated. People try, come and they seem to be able to stir up your flesh. Instead of stirring up your spirit. So stuff happens and it's usually people. So just this, know, know it's coming. Know it's coming. It's coming through people. It's going to come through good people. It's going to come through bad people. It's going to come through people. It's going to come through people that are close to you. It's going to come through people that are not close to you. The devil will use anyone that he can. That's what we got to do. Do you remember uh, anybody? Did y'all see that movie Twister? Long, long time ago. Twister. Anybody not see that movie Twister? All right, Miss Gladys. All right, Jackie. All right, that's uh, Helen Hunt. I think she was the, the, the girl. And the guy who played it, I think he just died recently, didn't he? Something like that. I don't know who he was. Bill Paxton. I, that's it. He was in something else, too. I remember the name. But anyway, they're storm chasers. And they go chasing after the storm. And, and uh, they're always in there with the, with the tornadoes. And the tornadoes, you know, I think, even picked up his truck and beat it up a little bit. And, and uh, they were under a bridge and all that sort of But the end scene, the, the final scene... They've, they've caught up with this tornado and this tornado is actually caught up with them. And so they see it coming over to them and they have this big uh, uh, farmhouse and, and so they run in there to try and take shelter and when they get in there they find all this metal. Uh, knives and sharp things all over the place and they said, oh man, this is not the place we want to be. So they get out of there and they go into this little tiny house because he says uh, it's some kind of a, I don't know, well house or uh, some, some kind of thing and it has poles that go all the way down way deep into the ground. And so he says, come on, we're going in there. Because at this point, they're pretty sure that the, the tornado is going to hit them. And you cannot run a tornado. That's, that's pretty tough to do. So what they do is they get in there and they, they take the leather straps and they strap it around their body and they strap it around the pole and then they hang on to the pole with the leather strap to back them up. And so then, and this is all movies. I understand this, but it's a great, it's a great concept. The tornado comes and it comes right over top of that little house that they have. Right over top. And all the boards of that, that house are just flying everywhere and they're gone. That whole thing is gone and they are in the tornado. And the camera looks up and you can see uh, if the, if a tornado had an eye, you are in the eye of the tornado. You're in the center of the tornado and they can see all the wind that's going around and all the stuff that's happening. They are in the center. It picks them up and they're up, they're airborne and they are lifted up, but they're still hung on to this, this uh, metal pole. Because as strong as that tornado is, it can't pull this metal pole out. And they are hanging on with everything they can because as long as they hang on to this pole and don't get caught up into the tornado, they have a good chance of surviving. If they let go and they go into the tornado, they will die. That thing will take them way up in the air and throw them far away and the landing will, if the trip didn't get them, the landing will. And so they do that and they, they make it through. Of course they did because it's the movies. <laughs> yeah. 
don't know that anybody's ever gone through anything like that or done anything like that. But anyway, these folks did. And, and, um, but if, if you remember that scene, the way that they held on with everything that they could and everything was focused on hanging on to that pole. Do not become unattached to that pole. That pole is your lifeline. As long as you are stay attached to that pole, because that pole's not going anywhere. It's too firmly rooted. It's not coming out. As long as you stay attached to that pole, you're going to make it. That's the kind of picture we have to have with this. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The enemy is going to come. He's going to send the tornadoes. He's going to send things to try and dislodge you from your confession. But don't do it. And God has a good plan for me. God has planned good things for me, not bad. You, you continue to confess these things. You continue to say these things. You don't waver off of those promises. What God has promised you in His Word. That's why you go back to His Word. Get the promise. Confess what it is. God, this is what you said. This is what you said for my life. This is what you said for me. And you hold fast that confession. You don't let it go. And here is the reason. He, because he who promised is faithful. That's why you have to go back to the promises of God. Don't be pulling out things that you want God to do and think it would be a good idea for God to do this. Go back to the promises of God. What has God promised you in his word? And then you keep confessing that thing. My God said... And whatever it is that he's promised you, you keep confessing. I have that thing. That's what's going to go on. That the woman with the issue of blood, if I just touched the hem of his garments. Why? Because I saw people and they just touched him and healing power went out. So if I just touched the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. And this is what we need to do. Hang on to the confession of our hope. So, now that we did that, the stage is set for a very familiar scripture to us, but we're going to see it in the context for which it was deployed. This is what it was put out here for. In Hebrews 10 and verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Go on to the next verse. Let's just read the whole thing. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. All right, back to verse 24. So we all know this verse. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You know, in other words, get out there to church. Be in church. And it would just seem like that just being in church is not necessarily going to help you out as much as we want to say that this verse is saying. But you see, if we get the context of what is being said here, the full context of what's happening here, we will understand the truth that is behind this and understand what we can do for our lives to make it be even better. Let's go back here to 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now, when you read that, I will bet that, because I was reading this here today and spending some time just getting caught up in the whole context of this thing. And I was looking at this from a different angle than I had seen this before. And if we could just get down the things that are in these verses, as I put up on Facebook for, before for you, if we could get down what is in these seven verses, we will eliminate almost all people problems in our lives. If we could do it. If we could do what is just in these seven verses. Because what's in these seven verses, going against them, is what causes, not all, but most of our people problems. So if we can do what's in here, we'll help us out. If you didn't see that up on Facebook, I'll let you know about it now. 
Get your hope up. <laughs> and let us consider one another. This word here, consider one another. Other people are going through trials. Isn't that what he's just talking about? There are trials, there are tests, there are forces at work trying to get you to dis- dislodge you from the hope that the Word of God has put in you. To get you to confess something different. To get you off of your confession. That confession of the things of the hope of God and on to confessing something else. Because no person has ever left the confession of the hope that is in us without picking up the confession of another. It has not happened. You do not give up the confession of what God has promised until you replace it with another. I mean, just think of it this way. Uh, God has promised you, I have forgiven you your sins, I have made you the righteousness of God in Christ. And we go out there, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. But then it gets changed over and says, well, I'm just a sinner. You see, we pick up another confession. I guarantee you, you will never let go of the confession of the hope that God has put in you until you have replaced it with another. That's because the hope was replaced. And then the confession followed after that. But other people are going through trials. They're going through pressures. They're going through things to get them to change their confession. It's trying to get them to waver. The enemy is not just trying to get you to waver. He's trying to get other people to waver. He's trying to get people off of the Word of God. He's trying to get people to go off in a different direction, a bad direction. He's trying to get them to not hold fast, to let go of their hope, just like he's working on you. So he first off starts this thing to let you know this is the battle that goes on in you. But consider other people. In other words, that battle is going on in them too. They are going through the same battles that you're going through. The same enemy is trying to get them to to come off of the word of God. He's trying to do that to them. Now look at this word, this word here, consider, uh, consider. It means to observe fully. Behold, consider, discover, or perceive. That's what this word means. So when he's saying to consider, now I went through the word of God. It's only used, I think, I'm going to the top of my head here. I think it's somewhere around 14 times that this word is used in the New Testament. I just pulled out the first six. And I'm reading them off here to you. Did I put them in your outline? No? That's because it's not important. (laughs) Just having fun with you. No, I just wanted to read them off to you real quick. It's not real important that you study out each one of these verses. I just want you to get the overall picture of what this word means. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Luke 12, 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Later on in verse 27, he says, consider the the lilies. Luke 20 and verse 23. But he perceived, that's the word there, perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? So the same word we have for consider is used here as perceive. Jesus was looking out. He saw their question, but he saw the overall thing that was happening. He saw the overall scheme of what was going on. And he spoke to it instead of just that question that they had. In Acts chapter 11, Peter considered the vision. He saw the vision, but then he considered it. What does this mean? What does this imp- How does this impact our life? I know this has meaning beyond what I'm seeing. So what does it mean? If it just means go out there and eat whatever food that you want, I've got it. But he considered it because he knew that this was meaning something more. Acts 27 verse 39. 
When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed. That word there, observed, is our word here, consider. They observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. So they're in a place. It says this is the land they're not familiar with. They don't know where this is. So if you're in a, a land you're not familiar with, it, you don't know this land, you are looking. You are carefully looking. You're studying the, the, at the, where is a place that we can land? Where is a place that we can, we can go? If you've got a whole lot of rocks, not going to work we need some soft spots to be able to bring this the ship in so they're they're looking they're they're trying to discover they're looking at the whole thing that's in front of them to focus in on one area that they can aim for that they can go this is the same word that's being used here romans chapter 4 verse 19 and not being weak in faith he did not abraham did not consider his own body already dead in other words he is looking at the big picture I'm not bringing this little picture into consideration. I'm not doing that. This little picture of what my body is doing, that's, that's small in comparison to the overall thing. So I'm not bringing that into the equation. I'm staying with the plan that God has given me. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. One more in Hebrews chapter... 3 and verse 1, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. And then he went on for how many chapters talking about the high priest? He says, consider this. Look at the overall. Look at the big picture of Jesus Christ as our high priest. Compared to having one of the sons of Aaron as our high priest. Consider Jesus Christ. And then he began to teach about all the impact that that had. So, that's for our word here for consider. So let's go back over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good, good works. So he says, let's consider one another. Let's look out along the, 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 the church. We're not talking about the, the heathens. We're talking about the believers. We're talking about the people making a pursuit into the things of God. He says, let us consider one another. So we all ought to be on this page where we are considering one another. Understand the context is there is a battle to get you to change your confession, to get you off of the hope of God. But don't waver. Hold fast that confession. Now consider other people. They're going through the same stuff. They're facing the same things. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. There are two things that we are to stir up in each other. We are to stir up love and we are to to stir up good works. Consider one another in order to stir up. Get out there and stir these things up. We're stirring up other things in in people, not necessarily love and not necessarily good works. But this is what he says. In all the people that I am encountering in the church, not outside the church, we are speaking about church people. People that are believing in God. Maybe they don't come out to church, but they believe in God. We ought to get them out of the church. That's the next verse. Consider one another. You see, the people in the world are not one another for us. It's the people in the body of Christ that are the ones one another's. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The enemy is considering one another to try and stir up wavering. But he says, no, no, no. Understand the enemy is out there trying to stir up wavering. You get out there and stir up love and good works. Get out, that's your role. Get out there and stir up love and good works in these people. Help them out. So, 
in order to, in order to uh, stir up love and good works, that's our purpose, or for the purpose of, in order to, or for the purpose of, stirring up love and good works. I put this in my outline. It's not in yours. There's no room for it. But our high priest Jesus considered the whole picture and took on becoming human, didn't he? He looked at the whole picture. We want to bring man back into fellowship with God. So in order for that to happen, I need to become human. Jesus Christ needed to become human. Whole picture. He needed to conquer sin. He needed to live down here and conquer sin. He needed to be made a sacrifice. The sin of the world was going to be put upon him. The Father was going to forsake him. He was going to be put into hell. But then the Father would come back and get him. He was going to be separated from the Father. And he did this voluntarily, didn't he? And then as he just taught in our our previous one, he took on the mark of a bondservant. Now, all the way up until then, the mark was, remember the ear and the awl, and they drive that all through the ear. Sounds so so fun. But instead of an awl through the ear, Jesus, he actually changed the Old Testament scripture, changed the quote. And took a whole section of it out and put in there. He took on that the the father had a body for him. And he took on a glorified body, which for us is an upgrade. And for him was a downgrade. And he took on that glorified body. And he wears it. As a sign that he is a bondservant to God for us. So he, he said... He considered all of this. He looked at the big picture and he said, I will do all of those things for you. I will do all those things for you. Let's look at all together here. I thought you were going to say something. Yep, we're going to see that word come out here in the next verse. <laughs> but it, does it put it, the Amplified puts it in for? The Amplified says encourage. In 24. Yes. Yep. I actually like this better for this verse. Encouragement comes later. And that's, there's actually a word for encouragement that's not in here. But the idea here is to stir up. And there's two things here. Stir, and it's a, I like the, I love the translation stir up. In fact, I had some notes on it. I didn't bring it over because... There, there are too many words. I left off three words I did word studies on out of this section because I just knew there's no way we're going to get into them. That was one of them, the stir up. I, so thanks for saying that. Maybe next week I'll pull in the, the stir up words because uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Get in there, stir it up. But you see, we're not just stirring up these things. We're stirring up other stuff. He says, stir up love and good works. Now go on to verse 25. Look at this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That is nothing less than church services. Coming together for church service. Coming together and fellowshipping with believers. Whenever they, the church came together for prayer. Whenever they came together for services. Whenever they came together for meals. There was fellowship. He says, don't forsake that fellowship together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So, stir up love and good works. We're not done with that verse. We are going to get back to it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some. 
That word manner can also be translated custom. And let me read off to you a few of these few of these things. I may have on this one taken the first six as well. But in Luke chapter 1 verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So there's nothing out of the normal. It just was, this is how we did it. This is how we do it. We throw lots. We look who comes up. And it came up for me. Just the, it was just a custom. It's how we always do it. Do you have things that you always do a certain way? We got, we got ways to do it. That's, why do you do it that way? I don't know. I always have. It's just our custom. And not, I'm not saying that they're bad. Don't, don't take anything negative out of that. Verse uh, 42, Luke 2, 42. And when he was 12 years old, Jesus, they went out to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Why did they go? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. Luke 22, verse 39, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives and he was accustomed, and as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. So, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives. Why? He's accustomed to doing it. He came out and went out to the Mount of Olives. Why are you going out there? That's what I do. <laughs> John 19, verse 40, then they took the body of Jesus and bound him in stripes of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. That word's being used again, Acts 6, 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. So this word here that's talking about as is the manner of some, that it has become the normal way of doing things that for some people we have just forsaken the assembling of ourselves. I don't need to assemble. I don't need to get with other Christians. And the reason for it is because many Christians have not stirred us up to love and good works. They've stirred us up to other things. And we don't like it. Well, let's go on here. Take a look at this word for exhorting. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another. So instead of going away, no, exhorting. Now this word for exhorting here, this is a neat word. This is a fun word. Parakaleo. Para. Come alongside. Parasite. Come alongside. Kaleo. To call. So basically what this one, this word means is one who comes right up next to you and speaks words of encouragement, who speaks words to you that builds you up. Now, in their day, in order for this to accomplish, you had to come physically next to the person. Not so much anymore. We can call them up on the phone. They didn't have phones in the New Testament. They didn't have other ways of, they didn't have Facebook, FaceTime, whatever all the other ones that are out there that are, that are there. If you, if you uh, Twitter or stuff like that, I do not and will never. There are some of them I just, <laughs> I just don't, don't get into. But there's other ways to be over there and to, to encourage. We can text. We can text encouragement. I mean, that's not as good as, as calling them up, but sometimes if that's all you can do, Send a text over to somebody. You can encourage them that way. 
But still, don't, don't bypass coming up alongside and speaking words of encouragement. That's what he's talking about here with this word exhorting. So, it's the manner of some. It has become the custom of some to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. If I forsake the assembling of ourselves together, how can I be used in the area of encouragement? How can I be used in the area of stirring up love and good works? I can't be. Therefore, I can't be used in these things. Therefore, other people can't be used in that way for me. They can't help me. Well, I don't need any encouragement. Well, you're a fool. You do. We were talking about that at the worship team. Because we were looking at the, the one thing, you know, the, what was it, the one, one guy was saying that we, we shouldn't need we shouldn't need praise. We shouldn't need uh, people to come up and say good things ab- about us. And my first thought for that, over that was, uh, if we don't need praise and encouragement, we're not doing enough for God. And I think my, my best example for that is, it, I'm not in the weight room anymore, but I used to show up in the weight room. And if you wanted to have a good workout, then you had a workout buddy. And that workout buddy would come up right alongside and they would speak words. I'm sure that outside of Les and maybe Daryl, none of you would think those were words of encouragement. I'm pretty positive of that. They would speak word. We would speak words to each other. They did not sound like flattering words. They were sometimes brutal words. My grandmother can do more than that. Come on, lift that thing up. You need to... <laughs> we would speak these kind of things and we would feel... Now, you might not. We would feel encouraged. You know what I'm talking about with this? Yeah, you know. We would feel encouraged with these words. <laughs> they, would, they would yell at us like this. They would, they would do these particular things. And they would, there would be encouragement that would come from that. But someone had to come up alongside. And because you see your body, after maybe 10 reps, would get tired and want to stop. But no, that person there coming up along. No, no, no. You're not stopping now. I want to see another. I want to see another two. I want to see another three. Don't you dare drop that weight. Get that thing going. Come on. Move that thing along. For some of you, encouraging words are, Oh, man, you did so great. You, oh, you look so good doing. Oh, that is just wonderful. No, that's not encouragement. I want somebody who's going to take me from the 10 reps, take me up to the 13, take me up to the 15, push me. I want to come out of there. I want to be sore. I want to not be able to walk out of the place. That for me is encouragement. And after you get all done, after you get done yelling at each other and spitting on each other and <laughs> sweating on each other and just pushing each other all that through, you come out of there and say, man, thanks. That was, a, that was a good workout. I really appreciate you being there. It wouldn't have been nearly as good of a workout if you didn't come along. Thanks so much for that. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. And oh, I'll tell you what, it's good. But you see, sometimes, no, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I can just do this on myself. On myself. That's not the way that it is. Come up alongside. Be speaking to each other. Helping each other. Don't get isolated. The Word of God talks about the devil comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he. And we've all watched the National Geographic channel. And we all know what zebra gets eaten. Don't we? We know exactly what he. It's always the same zebra. Every time you watch the show, it's always the same antelope. Whatever one they can get separated from the herd. If you can get one separated from the herd, that's all you need to do. 
We watch it all the time. Every single channel. The lions, they chase after the group of antelopes. Getting them to turn this way and this way and this way. Knowing that eventually one of them is going to get separated. And once they get the one separated, it's over. Because one cannot stand against them. And God knows that as well. Because you need the encouragement of other people. So the enemy comes in and he tries to do things to keep us from being together. He tries to get people to say things that cause us to be offended. He tries to get us discouraged. He tries to get us to look at ourselves and I say, I haven't advanced. Everyone else is looking at me and I haven't advanced. I'm embarrassed to go back to church because I'm still wrestling with the same things. I'm still facing the same things. The same things are still going on in my life. I don't have victory in this area. I'm still facing the same sickness, the same disease, the same problem. Everything is always the same, the same, the same. People are getting tired of seeing me and having the same problem. I would just stay away from them. I'm just bringing them down. And you get discouraged and you get uh, down about it. And you begin to say, they're better off without me. And as soon as you get isolated by yourself, what happens? What does the enemy do? He says, oh, that poor, poor little antelope. We, we don't want to eat that antelope. We just, we need to help that antelope get back to the, that's not what the enemy does. That's not what he does. So that's why he says, understand, this is what the enemy is trying to do. When you see somebody begin to wander off, what do you do? You get alongside, you encourage them, come on. Come on, I don't care if you face this battle for 10 more years. I'm here with you. We're going to win this thing. We're going to conquer this thing. Let's go. You're not going to conquer it out there. You're going to conquer it here with us. We're going to come together. We're going to help you out with this thing. He says, don't forsake the assemblies of ourselves together. People, they get embarrassed. They get discouraged. They get tired. All kinds of reasons that they, that they don't go. But you see, this word here for exhortation, he says, come up alongside and encourage. And I was, I was, as I was pondering this today, I'm thinking, you know what most of us Christians do? We go away from them and we complain. We do exactly the opposite of this word. We see somebody in the church who's having problems. We see somebody in the church who's not quite up to par. We see somebody in the church who's not quite utilizing their gifts or making advances or facing battles. And instead of going up alongside and encourage, we go away and we complain and we bicker to other people. We do exactly the opposite of what it says there in the Word of God. What do you think is going to happen to that person? If I go, if they find out that other people are going away from them, and complaining and bickering and talking about them. Saying how disappointed they are. How wrong they are. How terrible they are. All those kind of things. We're not doing what he said in there, but exhorting one another. That means you come up alongside and you encourage. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? <laughs> the day of the Lord. Are we closer now to the day of the Lord than he was? Boy, we sure are, aren't we? And we should be doing this so much more. Don't go away from the people and talk about them. Don't do that. Go towards the people and encourage them. And speak good things to them. I put this in my outline. 
Oh, I know. I, I cut out a whole lot of things so I can get half of this into yours. We got half of it into yours. So half of it's there. So why do we have people problems? First off, we don't continue to draw near to God. We're not going into the holy place. That's the first thing. We waver in our confession. We don't consider others in their battle. I'm not considering others. We stir up neither love nor good works in other people. I'm not out there to stir up love and good works in those, those folks. Well, they don't like the things that I say. Well, they don't want this. Well, they say this to me. Well, they aren't. And I'm always putting it off on them. But nowhere in this, is, this uh, section of Scripture does it put it off on other people. It puts it all on you. You draw near to God. You get into the Holy of Holies. You stir up love and good works. You do it. You don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You come up alongside people and encourage them. You do it. So we need this. We stir up neither love nor good works. We forsake church fellowship. We go away and complain and bicker instead of coming alongside and encourage. We do exactly that. And that's why we have people problems. That's why we have problems with this person over here. We won't relate it to that, but that's why we have problems with other people. See, folks, if we put as this, this is our priority, we would become one of those people in the body of Christ who makes everyone around us better. And the people who make everyone around them better are the people you like to be around. One of the things we used to do when we were in youth group, things like that, is... Uh, we would go outside and we would play football. When you play football with a group of people from youth group, you do not get football players. In fact, most of the people that you have out there are not football players. A lot of them have never played football ever. We have guys, we have girls. We're all out there, we're playing football. We're just playing touch football. We're not playing tackle football. We're just playing touch football. And we're not, we don't have linemen we're not doing blocking we're not doing all that sort of stuff we're just you know go out and and pass and so i would go out there i would have six people on my team the other team they would have seven one to i was always the quarterback i don't know why i was always the quarterback i think other people could throw the ball better but i was always the quarterback i'd be back there they'd hike the ball to me their spy would count to five mississippi before he would rush in and and uh, try and take me down, and then the rest of the six people are covering the, the six people we have. So we have some girls who don't even know what a football is. We have some guys don't really know what a football is either, never have played the game. And we have some guys, they are all football. They know the sport. So we all had about one or two football guys on the team, and the rest of them are not. And so we would come together in a huddle. And uh, I, I know this because they would tell me afterwards, you run your huddles different. And so I would take the girl who doesn't know what to do. And I wouldn't say, go out and run a hook pattern. Because they don't know what a hook pattern is. I would say to them, says, I want you to run out about 10 yards and then turn around and come back. Okay. <laughs> and this one, I want to run a slant pattern. I don't know what a slant pattern is. So I said, I want you to go out five yards and then I want you to go at about a 45 degree angle out the other direction. Okay. And so I would give each one of them how they were running. 
So all they had to remember was how they were running. So I know how they were running. And so what would happen is the other team would cover the football guys more than the non-football people. And so you'd have a couple of girls, and I would always keep them in the short, short passes because if you throw a long pass to someone who doesn't normally catch the football, it may come down to them, but they will run away from it. So we don't put them on the long ones. We put other people on the long patterns. We put them on the short patterns. And so then what would happen is I would take that ball and I would just lob it to one of the girls who's three yards down, five yards downfield, and they catch the ball. And they're excited. They caught the ball. So they're now into the game because I'm being used and I'm, I'm having fun. And this is, this is all right. I know what I'm doing. And I went out there and I, and I did it. And good things came out of that. And so if you ever play touch football, in touch football, you know, you don't have to get 10 yards for a first down. In touch football, you have, um, uh, uh, what is it, uh, three completes for a first down. So you have four downs. You've got to complete the ball on three of those downs. If you do, you get a first down. And then you can go some more. So all you need to do is complete that ball three times. And you got a first down. You get, get a new set of downs. You can keep on marching down the field. If you keep marching down the field, you're going to score. So this is what we would do. And I'd toss it to this girl. And if they covered her, I'd toss it to this girl over here or toss it to this guy over here who doesn't know really what a football is. And then after a while, they'd have to start covering all these people. If they start covering all the people, now the football guys, they got one person on them. And so I could toss the football to the one football guy who could get free of his, his person fairly easily and then we'd score a touchdown. So we'd win. And then the other team would line up and they would just try and use the football guys and the, the, the girls are on the team. They just run out half-heartedly and turn around. They're not going to throw it to me. They don't throw it to me. And so they came up to me afterwards and they said, you know what? I like playing on your team because you tell us what to do and you let us play. And so they get encouraged. You see, if you bring out the good in people, everyone gets better. But if you just say, well, these are the only good ones we have on the team. They're the only ones we're going to use then everybody goes down. People don't want to come out. See, this is what church is like, folks. We got people with all kinds of giftings. And if we don't take the giftings that they have and use them and encourage them, you know, if I have that girl and she caught three-yard pass and didn't catch it, didn't look all that stylish when she caught it, but she caught the pass and she, and she got it. When they came back in the huddle, you got it. She said, I did. <laughs> How'd that feel? I feel good. <laughs> All right, let's do it again. And, and they're encouraged. You see, if you bring out the best that is there in them, then the best comes out from the whole team. If you bring out the worst, then you come back in the huddle and they're mad at you. You're not using me. I don't even know why I'm here. This is no fun. Don't be doing that. Use the people. Use the folks that are there. See, that's why we have people problems. To lessen people problems, this is not on there. This is pretty much just the opposite of all that. Get yourself into the God's presence and maintain it. That's the main thing. You've got to take care of yourself first. Just like the airlines that they tell you when the mask drops down, who do you take care of first? Yourself. Because if you're, no, if you're not up to the task, you can't help anybody else. Take care of yourself first. Hold fast that confession. If you're going to show them how to do it, you've got to do it yourself. Hold fast that confession. Whatever the hope is, you, you let them see. I'm confessing it. With, I'm speaking it with my mouth. I am not just burying it. I am speaking this thing out. Hold fast your confession. Consider others. Understand that everyone that is around you is going through battles and some of them might even be going through greater battles than you are. Every single one of them that you see, every single believer that is out there that is either in ministry with you 
or a ministry around you, every single one is encountering discouragement, is encountering uh, forces coming. Every single one. So you've got to end, ask yourself this. What team am I going to be on? Am I going to be on God's team who encourages them? Or am I going to be on the enemy's team who is trying to discourage them? Am I going to be one of those forces that comes against them holding fast? Or am I going to be one of those folks that helps them to hold fast? Stir up love and good works. Stir it up. Is, is my actions towards my fellow uh, believers, is it to stir up good works? Is it to stir up love? Or is it to stir up something else? Be in fellowship with others. It's important. Not only for them to encourage you, but you cannot encourage people if you're not around them. You've got to be around them. And to see, if you do the first part, get yourself in the presence of God, when you're in the presence of God, God will begin to speak to you. Encourage this one here. Help this one out here. Speak to this one here. Be in fellowship with others and encourage them. Resist the urge to go away from them and bicker. But come near and encourage. If we could do those things, folks, most, I know not all. Jesus still had people problems too. But he knocked it down quite a bit. If we could just do that, we would wipe out a lot of our people problems. If we could just find out, all right, this person's not a football player, but I bet you they can catch a three-yard pass. I bet you they can catch a five-yard pass. Yeah, they could do it. These are the things we can do. Father God, we thank you that you are prepared to help us in this task in front of us. To hold fast our confession, the confession of our hope, as we draw near to you. For the nearer we draw to you, the more we learn about that hope, and the more we can confess with our mouth those things that we hope for. Help us, Father, as we reach out and stir up other believers, stir up the love, stir up the good works that are in them. Help us as we draw alongside to encourage them to help them with their battle that they're facing. That we consider that life is coming after them. The enemy is coming after them. People are coming after them. But we will not be one of those people. We will fellowship with each other and we will let you use us to encourage those around us as well as let them encourage us. I thank you for it, Father. Give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Only one blank. I think I got it, didn't I? Did you did it, did we fill in what we <laughs> what we wanted? <laughs> Pretty sure I only had one blank. Oh, I may not have even done it. Yeah, I, I guess I did, but I just didn't say it. Not forsaking or leave behind can be understood as not becoming isolated. Uh, separate, be the same thing. After you got the concept down. That's all that we need. All that we needed. Don't need the exact word. Beautiful. Because I did forget to go over that one specifically. You know, it, this is really good because it helps to expose how subtle the enemy is mm. with the way we've been taught 
a more of a survival attitude, if you would. Yeah. You know, as good point. Yeah. Example about the 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 herd. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be the fastest one in the herd. You just don't be the slowest one. That's it. So instead of the herd staying together, so they can't all be attacked together, one's gonna fall behind. So instead of everybody staying behind, so there's not anybody being separated, we're always taught the survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that you're the survivor. Or even better, I thought of, you don't hang around those people that are struggling because those people pull you down. Is yeah. what we're being taught. Mm-hmm. You know, stay away from them because you'll you'll pick up, you'll pick up their attitudes or you'll become like them. Instead of, like you said, coming along the side, encouraging them, you know, so that they become better. You're thinking, oh, I have to stay. Those people are trouble. Issues, as if we don't all have issues. You know, they have problems. Stay away from them. And it's it's better because you just open up doors for me. I mean, not that this is, you know, yeah, it's it's revolutionary for me. But we're just taught. And I think it's just the, the enemy's way of keeping us isolated. We're just taught to look out for yourself, take care of yourself, even kind of like when you said with the airplane thing, you know, take care of yourself because you can help anybody else. But we get stuck at the take care of ourselves, And you don't worry about anybody else. Everybody's left to fend for themselves is, is the attitude that society goes. You know, I don't have time to take care of anybody else. I got to take care of myself. I'm not going to be any good to anybody if I don't take care of myself. And we forget that we have to be better for other people. You can be better for yourself, so you can be better for other people. And we just get lost. But I, I just thought of that when I thought about the herd thing. I'm like, no, we're not taught to come along and help each other. Like if you see somebody fall down, go back and get that person. You're taught, hey, don't be the last person because you're going to be the one that's being eaten. So just keep running. And that's the way the herds are. So, you know, the enemy's teaching us, you know, yeah, be like the herd. Run fast. Don't be the one that gets caught. And the enemy, I see it time and time again, is he wants you isolated. You know, you think, oh, I don't have time for those people. I just want to go home. And I say it a lot. I just want to go home and get under the covers. Well, yeah, you're under the covers. You're by yourself. And then the battle is on. The enemy's just wearing you out instead of pick up the phone, talk to somebody, go have lunch with somebody, you know, go spend some time with some somebody. And then you build each other up and encourage each other. So good. thank you. That was good. The microphone that I wouldn't have been a repeat all that. <laughs> Thanks, Daryl. Anybody else? Comment? Question? Anything to add? I wanted to um, just think. Just um, listening to what Sister Phyllis was saying and um, coupling that with to continue to draw near to God because um, sometimes um, I'll find myself trying to do those things and come alongside and it can be draining and if you are not um, drawing near to God and replenishing you're going to bottom out and um, so I, I like the fact that drawing near to God is put first because if we start there and then we're um, you know prayerfully trying to do the things that we're we're supposed to do as far as coming alongside you won't have that drain but when you don't do that first one first for me when I don't do that first one first um, it, it it won't work so 
it's a good thought what Sister Phyllis was saying as um, far as remembering that we are to do these things and come alongside. And, and what, I guess what's different is it's not like the world does things. It's not even the way that we would, um, like in the workplace, when you have those around you, they're not doing that. And so if we're not careful, we can pick that up from work and then, you know, bring that survival of the fittest into um, our church family, and then we're not helping one another. Good. Any comments from the Facebook crowd? <laughs> okay. Oh, number seven says people skip church fellowship because. Yeah, I did actually read them, but not in the list of uh, on the agenda. Oh, okay. Out the of there. Let me find it again here. Where did it go? There it is. All right. They are embarrassed. They're embarrassed at uh, what they battle. I shouldn't be battling these things. So they get there's embarrassment that can be there, or they, uh, the shape of their faith. I should be further along. I haven't progressed. People are going to see that I haven't progressed. Uh, their uh, lack of growth, uh, pride. Pride has led them into becoming offended. I didn't mention that one, but um, certainly, and, and anyone who's offended is in pride. That's that's just the way it is. They don't want to admit it because when you're in pride, you can't tell it. But if you, it's, in, I don't know that it's a, that it's possible to be offended without being in pride. Yeah. And certainly, I'm not being offended for God. Uh, you get offended for God in the right way. You, it doesn't drive you to do things when you are offended in the in the flesh. But it's pride. I'm right. Everyone else is wrong, and they should see it my way. Uh, so pride has led them into becoming offended. They'll call it spiritual insight. Well, I have more spiritual insight in this than they do. No, you have pride. If you had spiritual insight, you'd be able to speak into this thing and encourage people and build them up and get them into to doing some things. But you don't. You have pride. That's what you got. Uh, you can't tell a prideful person they're in pride. You can tell a humble person that they're in pride and they'll believe you. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. We've got to get to the humble people to say, I'm not in pride. And the prideful people to realize I am in pride. It's a really tough, uh, <laughs> it's a really tough battle to, to get out of. Because <laughs> sometimes humble people think, well, I have to admit that I'm in pride. No, you don't. Absolutely, you do not. It's, um, anyway, that's a whole other thing. We don't want to get into that. You don't have to be... Humble people don't have to admit they're in pride to be humble. Yeah, but sometimes a humble person will say, well, I know, there's just some pride in me and I had to work it out. Eh, maybe not. Just because I, si- I say I don't have pride working in me doesn't mean I'm not humble. It has nothing to do with it. We, d- we just have a warped idea of what, what humility is. But anyway, that's a whole other, other issue. Just put that one in there for um, the reasons people leave fellowship. Um, another one, maybe they become discouraged. Maybe they're just discouraged in their own walk. I'm not, I'm not, making, I'm not making progress like it. 
I'm not embarrassed, but I'm just discouraged. It just seems like it ought to be, it ought to be getting better for me. And um, come alongside those folks. Encourage them. Help them out. Yep. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I didn't really read that off the way that I intended to. Thank you all. All right, I believe next, uh, next week we will finish Hebrews chapter 10. And all this sets up our favorite chapter. Chapter 11. But once you have seen the context of chapter 11, it will change your viewpoint of much of what is discussed in chapter 11. Because the context is especially, I mean, context is huge with Paul. It is even more huge with Hebrews. Hebrews is so much context. He is really only making one argument. And he is just taking his time to lay the foundation to bring us into this. He's making points along the way, but it's the overall... I, I see this since we've been studying it. I just, just see Hebrews in a different way. And, um, it's, I am. <laughs> I am enjoying it. There have been a couple of really tough spots <laughs> in, the, in the book, but I'll tell you what, sometimes I'm sitting over there for three or four hours before I can finally get a handle on the thing. Oh, now I know where we're going with this. And um, uh, yeah, that was, the, that was certainly the case today. I was trying to actually work on finishing up Hebrews chapter 10 and then suddenly was focusing on these. these oh, now I see what he's doing with these things mm-hmm. and where this, is, where this is going. So it was, um, it was a great help for me. <laughs> he is thank he is quite the quite the author that is that is for sure thank you all for coming on out and thanks facebook folks for tuning in too. make it worthwhile